Now, if I would just hazard a guess, this is just my guesstimate, I'm not saying this is fact or anything, but you know, if, if, if I was to maybe do research, I would probably guess that in the realm of, of Christianity, in the realm of, of religion in that area, probably the most Googled subject would be the mark of the beast. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm almost sure that that's probably, at least it'd be in the top ten of things that are searched as far as faith and Christianity and stuff. So, um, you know, do I know who the beast is? No. Do I know what the mark is? No. <laughs> I don't think it's important to know who the beast is because God has already given us enough description so that when he shows up, we're going to recognize him. So we don't need to know who he is, like what his real name is and where he was born and all this kind of stuff. You know, so like if you never knew me, but you were going to meet me for the first time and I say, hey, I'm going to be at Tim Hortons and I'm going to be wearing a funny little black yarmulke. I'm going to have a black shirt on that says Yeshua in Hebrew in white and I'm going to be wearing blue jeans and you come in, I'm the only guy that looks like that. Well, those are giveaways that's going to let you know who I am and then you'll finally know who I am. But I gave you enough descriptors to let to, to clue, clue you in on who I am. So, I mean, that's just like the scriptures. It's going to be a man of lawlessness. You know, he's going to be, uh, he, he's going to be an antichrist or another Christ. He's going to act like Christ but do everything against. And uh, so it's kind of the same thing with the mark. Do I know what the mark is? No. Do, do I really think that we need to know? No. We'll know it when it happens. We'll know it when it's there. But it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, kind of like a brand. Like if I had a... If I said, if I owned some horses and there was a bunch of horses mixed up and I said, okay, go out in the horses, uh, go out in the field, find the horses that have the triangle with the X through it. Well, once you see that, you're going to like, oh, okay, those are Pastor Chris's horses. You know, I mean, so when the mark comes, we're going to know. But I do want to talk about the mark of the beast because I do think there is an extremely dangerous assumption to what we think in regards to the mark of the beast. So my sermon isn't geared to scare you or to frighten you, but to educate you and to educate you because I love you. I don't want you to have any false assumptions because assumptions can be pretty dangerous. You know, if I'm if I'm out in that horse field and there's a fence and I assume it's not electrified and I grab it. Well, that's a pretty dangerous assumption right there. Right. So um, so how many have heard that in order to take the mark of the beast? You'll have to deny or to renounce Christ. How many has heard that? Pretty much all of us. How many believe that? Pretty much all of us. So show me the chapter and verse where that is. Uh-oh. I'm going to rock your world now. It, it's, it's not there. So, you know, Deuteronomy 4.2 says, Do not add or subtract from the word of God. It's extremely dangerous to add or subtract. You know, a lot of people say, well, the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. No, it doesn't. Sounds good, but it's not in the Bible. I think Benjamin Franklin said that. You know, or, well, we all know that money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money. So there's a lot of assumptions and a lot of presumptions that are made. And in the King James, in Psalms 19:13, it speaks of presumptuous sin. Lord, keep me from presumptuous sin. So presumption and assumption, they're kind of the same thing. So presumptuous sin. Presumptu uh, presumption means to act on uh, presuming or accepting something as true. Presuming is acting or accepting something as true. 
So regarding the mark of the beast, it's become a major presumption that in order to receive the mark, you will have to deny Christ in order to take it. Um, so that presumption, I feel, has been based on two things. It's been based on the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's three books that were basically in every Christian home way back when. And all three of them have been top sellers, never been out of print. That's the Bible. Right next to the Bible was usually the Fox's Book of Martyrs and also uh, Paul Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Now, Fox's Book of Martyrs, just virtually every single story, virtually, um, they're like, all right, will you deny or renounce Christ or renounce your faith, renounce your beliefs, we'll let you go, and everything's honky-dory. So we kind of presume, because we've heard so many martyrdom stories, that in order to receive the mark of the beast, you have to deny or to renounce Christ. So our assumption or presumption is based on that. Number two, it's based on reading into something into the scriptures that's not even there. And this is based on Revelation chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 13. And starting with verse 15. Now, this is the passage usually where we get that presumption that in order to receive the mark of the beast, you have to renounce or deny Christ. Because it says in Revelation 13, verses 15 and 16, And he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. See, there's, the, there's the, where the presumption begins. Oh, well, if I don't worship him, then I'm going to be killed. All right, that's, that's where it kind of starts. Then verse 16, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So we, we are presuming, we're presuming something that's not even there. So nowhere in this verse or any other verse does it say that we have to renounce or stop worshiping Christ in order to accept or receive the mark of the beast. Now, my case in, one of my cases and points is that Israel was punished, or Israel wasn't punished rather. Israel wasn't punished because they stopped worshiping Yahweh, because they stopped worshiping the God of Israel. That's not why they were punished. Why they were punished is because they, they worshipped God alongside other gods. They worshipped Yahweh in addition to Baal and Molech and Dagon and Ishtar and on and on and on. Because Exodus 20 verse 3 says, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me, or no other gods in my presence, or no other gods alongside me, no other gods with me. Because the majority of the world at that time uh, believed in a pantheon of gods. They worshipped a pantheon, a family of gods. They just didn't exclusively worship one god. It was a very strange thought and a very strange thing for a nation or a person to be monotheistic to worship one god so not you know they're like sure we'll worship yahweh yes yahweh is our patron god he's the god of israel but just to be on the safe side just to cover my basis because we're living in the land of canaan i'm going to worship baal too just to make sure he doesn't get mad at me and i'm going to worship this god and that god and this god and that god and the one of the water the one of the sun the one of the moon one of the agriculture one of the fields one of one of the mountains just so i have all my bases covered right and that's the way it that's the way they thought so israel wasn't punished because they stopped worshiping yahweh they were punished because they worshiped him in addition to a plethora of other gods 
So, Matthew 4, and verse 9. We're right in the middle of that passage where Yeshua, Jesus, is in the desert being tempted. And he says, oh, look at all these things. You know, I'm the lowercase g. I'm the God of this world, and, and everything has been handed over to me, and I can hand it over to you too. I mean, I, I know you want to be the Messiah. I know that you claim to be the Son of God. Why not take the fast track? You know, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to, we, we don't even have to fight. We can get along. Let's just come to some kind of mutual agreement. So, you know, see, all this, all this stuff, all this, these things of this world can be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. If you'll just bow down and worship me. Satan didn't say, now in order for you to rule the world and in order for me to give you all the kingdom of the world, you're going to have to renounce your father. And, and worship me exclusively. Satan didn't say that anywhere. It's not in there at all. He didn't care if Yeshua still honored the Father. He didn't care who, who else Yeshua honored. He just wanted his piece of the pie. He just wanted a little, a, a little acknowledgement, a little bow, a little worship. He didn't care you know, about other forms of worship. So Satan never asked Jesus to deny uh, the Father. Just bow his knee to him also, right? Give him some accolades. Because, hey, after all, he was kind of, you know, he was kind of a big deal in heaven. He was the praise and worship leader in heaven. He was the, the, uh, the chief of the throne guardians. He was the leader of the four living creatures. So he was a big deal at one time. Now, also, in Daniel... Chapter uh, chapters one and Daniel chapter four. We have the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah prophesied it was going to happen. Sure enough, it did. All of Judah was taken captive into Babylon, and in Babylon they worshipped all these other gods. They even worshipped the kings because they were supposedly uh, demigods. They were descended or born from the gods. But you know what? They knew that the the uh, tribe of Judah, who they took captive, worshipped Yahweh. They didn't care. They didn't care if they worshipped Yahweh just as long as they acknowledged their gods also. So they went to Babylonian University for three years, learned the language, learned the culture, learned everything. And so, you know, they didn't care who else they worshipped as long as they didn't diss and acknowledge and respect and revere the Babylonian gods. But we know that Daniel and his three friends, that's where they kind of drew the line in the sand and said, hey, you know, we're not going to budge on this issue. Yeah, we know you worship these other gods. We know that you think they exist, but no, we're going to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. We're not going to bow down to you. We're not going to bow down to them. And that got them in trouble multiple times. You know, right off the bat, the three Hebrews, they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to a, a, a golden statue resembling the king and possibly other gods. And of course, we know that the Lord saved them. Daniel would not uh, stop praying to God, stop praying to Yahweh, you know, because for 30 days, he was only to pray to the king. And uh, so he was thrown in the lion's den as a result of that. So now back to Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. The prerequisite for the mark of the beast is we know who he is and that he will be ruling at that time. So that's from uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Matthew 24, verses 15 through 31. So we don't really have to worry about the mark of the beast right now at this very moment simply because... The beast isn't in charge. He's not ruling the world. He's not the emperor. You know, so we don't know who he is. He hasn't really come on the scene yet, as we know. So the prerequisite for the mark of the beast is that we need to know who the beast is 
and that he's ruling at that time. So let's break down Revelation 13, verses 15 and 16, and see if we can't get to the heart of this. So it says, And he had the power to give life to the image of the beast. The image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship, worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now this word worship in the Greek means to kiss the hand. It means a token of reverence. It means to pledge allegiance. None of those definitions deems exclusivity. None of those definitions say you got to worship this and only this. It leaves it wide open. It just says simply to kiss the hand, a token of reverence, a pledge of allegiance. Now, I can pledge allegiance, since I'm an American, I could pledge allegiance to the American flag. I can pledge allegiance to the Bible, because there's a pledge for that. I didn't know if you knew that or not. I could pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. But, you know, no, I don't have to renounce Christ in order to do any of those things. Um, you know, if a conflict of interests arises, I default to God and his word. But I can pledge allegiance, my allegiance, I can give my reverence, I can kiss the hand, I can take a pledge, I can give a token of reverence to many other things without denying Christ. Because I'm an American. Maybe one day I'll be a Canadian citizen. You know, um, I pledge allegiance to my marriage because I've got a wedding band. I made some vows. Right? Doesn't mean I worship my wife, doesn't mean I worship the American flag, doesn't mean I worship the Bible, or doesn't mean that I worship the Christian flag, but I do pledge solidarity and allegiance. It's a reverence, it's a form of worship. So we're not talking exclusivity here when it says that he causes um, all that would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, moving on to verse 16. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, Free and bond, that's pretty much everybody. You know, that's the lowest part of the economic strata, uh, strata to the very top and everybody in between. To receive, um, he causes them to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads. Okay, so this word um, causes, he causes them. This word cause means to commit. It means to do. It means to bear. So he causes, he, ca he makes, uh, uh, these people make a commitment. He causes them to do this. He causes them to bear this, this mark, to receive a mark. This word receive in the Greek means to grant or to bestow as a gift. That might imply, that might indicate that it's a freebie. Who doesn't love freebies, right? You get these coupons, buy one, get one free, right? Freebies. So a lot of times when the government wants you to have something, they won't charge for it. They'll give it to you for free. But the government never gives you anything for free. They always want something in return later on down the road, right? So it's the same with this mark. It's probably going to be doled out for free, but there's going to be a price to pay. There's going to be a pound of flesh that's going to be required. So this word receive means to grant or bestow as a gift. So the implication in the Greek is that a person receives it willingly, that they receive it willingly. Um, it, it won't be forced. It won't be forced on anyone. Now, that's not to say that there won't be pressure or incentive to receive it, just like there's pressure uh, to receive a vaccine. Maybe you don't want it, but it's like, well, if you want a job, you know, you want to feed your family, you know. So they're not forcing you, but yet they're kind of hog tying you and twisting your arm until you say, uncle, they're putting pressure on you. But still, bottom line, it's your choice. 
You say yes, you say no. Come hell or high water, whatever the consequences may be, it is ultimately your choice. So when it comes to the mark of the beast, you have to willingly receive it. Nobody is going to force it on you and give an ultimatum to you. There's going to be consequences if you don't, but you still have that free will choice. Okay, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark. Now this word mark, this word mark means to stamp, to imprint, to brand, to engrave, or to carve. Now if I carve something in stone, can I uncarve it? No, it's it's where we get the expression. It is set in stone. It's something that is permanent. Now, talking about the horses earlier, if I brand my horses, I can't I can't remove that brand. I can't take that brand away. I can cover it up. I can make it look like something else, but that brand is going to be there. So the mark it, it, it speaks of something that's permanent. It speaks of something that permanently changes you, and it cannot be undone. Now, when I was little, I was, you know, I watched A Thief in the Night. I watched A Distant Thunder. I watched all those Mark of the Beast movies that were put out in the late 60s and 70s, right? Scared the pants off me. I remember, oh, okay, A Thief in the Night, I mean, scared the bejesus out of me because a month afterwards, I would not let my mom and dad out of my sight because I was afraid as soon as they left to go into the store, they would be raptured and I'd be sitting in the car for the, for the end of my days. I mean, I was terrified that I was, they were going to be raptured and I was going to be left behind. So, uh, so, so this, uh, it, when we talk about the Mark of the Beast, because of that movie and because of all the teachings on it, I heard, you know, everybody says, oh, it's going to be a microchip. Oh, it's going to be a tattoo. Oh, it's going to be a brand or whatever. You know, but to me, it never made sense. I mean, now I'm speaking on my own opinion, okay? I'm not giving you theology here. Take it as you will. I'm not trying to force, but I'm just saying this is, this is my thoughts. This is my thought process. Because if, I, if it was a microchip or if it was, or if it was a, a tattoo or something, you know what? I could just chop my hand off there. I don't have the mark anymore. How can a tattoo, how can a microchip, how can a brand all of a sudden cause you to lose or forfeit your salvation, make you unredeemable. To me, it never made sense. But taking the Greek words into consideration and the meanings, what Mark is, it speaks of something that is permanent, that changes you permanently, and it cannot be undone. So it makes me think it's going to be something that will literally change our genetic makeup. Now that makes sense to me because God, Jesus didn't come to die for dogs. He didn't come to die for lizards. He didn't die. He didn't come to die for flying unicorns that fart rainbows and sparkles. He came wow. to die for human beings, right? So if you inject something or have something within you that literally changes your DNA, and it's the mark of the beast, marked as a beast, you you have the mark of the beast. You look like you, somehow you're you're changed into a beast. Somehow somehow you are no longer completely 100% human. Ah, well then that would cause you to be unredeemable. Because we see in Genesis chapter 6 when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they cohabitated with each other and, and formed these Nephilim, had, gave birth to these Nephilim, uh, otherwise known as the giants, they were unredeemable. That's why the flood happened, to wipe them out, to keep the human genome and genetic line pure so that the Messiah uh, prophesied in uh, Genesis 3.15 could come through. So they're unredeemable. 
And the disembodied spirits of these Nephilim, these giants, are what we call demons today. Demons are not fallen angels. Fallen angels are fallen angels. They're evil angels. They're fallen angels. They are not demons. Demons are the, the disembodied spirits of the giants because they are called familial spirits. In other words, they're kind of related to us in a way. They never got wiped out? Well, their bodies got wiped out, but their souls, they're going to be judged in the end. Right, they're going to be. They are. See, that's why when Jesus came and started casting out demons and legion, there's a. Oh, did you come to destroy us before the time? Okay. They know that they're going to be judged. They know that they're going to be cast into the lake of fire in judgment. So he's like, "Hey, uh, did you come ahead of time to wipe us out?" And okay. Jesus is like, "Nope, it's not not your time, but it's coming." Okay. You know. So, um, the this is this is my thoughts. I think it's something that will change you. So let's get, and the reason I think that is because the rest of the Greek uh, that's in this verse leads me to believe that. So I don't think it's a microchip. I, I mean, it could be initiated as that or whatever, but it's something that's going to change who you are. Uh, okay, so it says uh, to receive a mark in their right hand, in their foreheads, in, the word in. It implies something inside or something that goes from the outside in. That's the implication there in the Greek, that it is in the right hand or in the forehead. So the word right hand in the Greek means right side. It's not necessarily literally your right hand because the word hand has had different definitions all throughout history. In the scripture, sometimes the hand is referred to as the wrist down. Sometimes it's, it's from the elbow down. Sometimes the right hand just meant your whole right side. It just depends on the time, the language, the era, the context. So in the Greek here, right hand just means right side. Somebody could be standing here, and I would say they're standing at my right hand. They're standing at my right side. So the Greek implies that it may not necessarily be the hand as we think of a hand. Now, another case in point. Mark of the beast is on the right side or the right hand. The mark of God or the seal of God is considered the tefillin. The tefillin is the little black prayer boxes that we Jewish people wear during our times of prayer. Yeah, yeah, we have one on the forehead, and it's got a little sheen. It's a Hebrew letter sheen, which means El Shaddai, the Almighty One, the Shaddai. So that's the mark or the seal of God. And we put it on our, on our hands when we pray on our arms. But you know what? The little black box goes all the way up here on our forearm, and we wrap the strap all the way down till it reaches our two middle our two middle fingers. So it's the whole right side. So if there's a correlation there, I don't know. And so and, and it's like, where do you put the tefillin on the head between the eyes, right? So it says to receive a mark in the right hand. And, and see, the right hand is also there's a lot of symbolism there. The right hand means favor. The right hand means acceptance. The right hand is symbolic of uh, submission and authority. And again, there's a willingness implied here. A willingness. They willingly receive on their right side or in the right hand, whatever, what, what have you. They, they, they accept this. Uh, they submit to this authority willingly. All right, so uh, the forehead. In the Greek, it literally means the space between the eyes. The space between the eyes. So, you know, it may not be literally right here between my eyes, but it says in the foreheads. Maybe it might be something that's going to be implanted right in the middle of my brain. I mean, a lot of this is speculation.
But what I'm trying to get at is I don't want us to be sucking up or sucking in and believing false assumptions and therefore be deceived. Because deception is very, very possible. It's very, very real. Now, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, it says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, it's interesting. 666 is the number of man. We are made up of six electrons, six neutrons, and six protons. 666. We are a trichromatic being, just like God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have a, a spirit, a soul, and a body, right? We, we're, we're, six is the number of man because we were created on the sixth day. So you see all these sixes come into play here? All right, so moving on to Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 12, gets a little bit more detailed. It says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, was hell made for human beings? No. The scripture tells us that hell was made for the devil and his angels. So it even makes more sense that if somebody receives the mark, they are no longer purely human, and therefore the only place for them to go in the end is hell. That's another way that you can look into this. All right, so verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are, here are they that keep the commandments of God, number one, and the faith of Jesus, the faith of Yeshua. So let's dive and dig into this passage all right, so in Revelation 14.9, um, it talks about worship. It's the exact same word that's used in Revelation 13.15, uh, talking about a token of reverence, um, uh, allegiance, pledging allegiance, all that kind of stuff. The word receive here is a different word. The word receive means to take, to have, or to catch. You know, if I, if, uh, if I had a ball and I threw it at somebody and you, you would catch it, you would take it, you would receive it. So this word, Greek word receive means to grab hold of in order to accept. So another hint of what this mark is going to be like, it's going to be an offer that you can't refuse. <laughs> you know, it, it's, going to, it's going to look very pleasing, very tempting, very tantalizing. It's going to look like a good deal because you, want, you, you not only willingly accept it and receive it, you reach out and grab it. Now, the forehead, it's the same as in Revelation 13, 16. Now, the, now this word for hand in Revelation 14, 9, the word for hand means to accept help, to accept aid, or to accept authority. It literally means to put your hand in another hand. So when you're putting your hand in somebody else's hand, you're implying partnership. Whenever you make a business deal, you shake on it. Whenever you're teaching your kids how to walk, they put your hand and you put their hand in their hand and you teach them, you, you partner with them to help them walk. It's a partnership. Um, now, it, it's interesting here 
that it says hand and it doesn't specify left or right. Um, you know, but the right is kind of implied, strongly implied in scripture. Uh, but here the word hand is in the plural sense. It's hands. Uh, it's, it's the same as in Revelation 20, verse 4. Now, verse 10 of chapter 14, verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out with which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb so again this is something that's going to make you irredeemable i i just can't see how a brand a microchip a tattoo is going to make you irredeemable i can see how something being put inside you that literally changes your genetic makeup which makes you no longer human that will definitely forfeit your salvation because he didn't come to die for hybrids. He came to die for human beings. And there is some legend that the way the Hebrew is worded when it's talking about Nimrod, who became a mighty hunter, a giborim on the face of the earth, a lot of rabbis and a lot of scholars believe that he is the first human to willingly become something else. He is the first human to become more than a human. To kind of become a hybrid, become, you know, we don't know what, but just the way the Hebrew is, it kind of gives that implication. Um, all right, so, uh, yeah, I'll just kind of read a quick passage here. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 4 and 12. Verse 4 says, and there were giants, there were Nephilim. See, a lot of modern translations will say Nephilim because they're like, giants just don't cut it. Uh, Nephilim means fallen ones. So there were giants in the earth in those days and also after when the sons of God, always, always, always in the Old Testament, sons of God are the angelic race, the Beneha Elohim, the sons of God. You see it in the book of Job, where the sons of God came for some sort of inspection, some kind of roll call, and Satan was among them because, you know, he was a Beneha Elohim at one time. So, so there were giants in the earth in those days and also after when the sons of God came into, that's a nice way of saying they had sex, the daughters of men. Well, no, that was the godly line of Seth and, and the ungodly line of Cain. Well, if the godly line of Seth mixed with the ungodly line of Cain, then the godly line of Seth isn't godly anymore, is it? Doesn't make sense. That's a Johnny-come-lately interpretation of this passage. So the sons of God came into the daughter of men, which means human women, and they bore children to them. Uh, they were The same became mighty men, became Giborim, just like Nimrod did. Which were old, which were men of old, men of renown. So you know all these mythos of you know Hercules and Zeus and Perseus and all these pagan pantheons. There's a grain of truth to them. I think that that's where these you know myths come from. Were from the Nephilim, for, from the giants. And then so in verse 12 it says, God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way on the earth. All flesh, not just human beings, animals. You know, where you, you talk about cryptozoology, all these mythological... That explained my cat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew it. That explains the Yeah, yeah. So it says all, all flesh had corrupted itself on the earth. So it's not, it, it not only implies or it's not only believed, and if you read the book of Jude or the letter of Jude, it kind of goes into that a little bit more, but that all flesh had corrupted itself, not just human beings, human with angelic or with uh, fallen angels, but that these fallen angels were teaching human beings to make weapons, to make war. Uh, the book of Enoch even sh says that it's fallen angels that teaches uh, women how to have abortions. Yeah. 
And so um, you had these hybridizations. This is happening today with modern science. You're, you're mixing, uh, you know, pig DNA with human DNA, monkey DNA with something else. And, you know, you have all these, you know, uh, dogmen and all these crypto uh, zoological weird things out there. Well, that was happening in the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. So in the end time, we're going to see history repeat itself. And we're seeing these hybrids. It's just not happening in a supernatural way with fallen angels. It's happening with modern science, but it's happening. So it says all flesh had corrupted itself. So, you know, and, and you look into the pagan pantheon, there is a ton of, um, you know, uh, cryptological kind of things like the Lamasu, which is the throne guardians. They are there. It's, they've got the body of a bull, the, the, the head of a man, uh, the wings of an eagle, and the paws of a lion. Sounds like the four living creatures, doesn't it? And then you have, you know, in, in the uh, Egyptian pantheon, all the gods had animal heads. A bird head, a crocodile head, a dog head, Anubis, the god of the dead, was a dog-headed, you know, a dog man. You know, so it said all flesh had corrupted itself. So there was a change going on here. Uh, now, in Matthew, let me allow me to turn here really quick. In Matthew chapter 25... Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. It says, Then shall he also say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So, um, again, it wasn't created for human beings. It was created for things outside of the realm of God's will, God's obedience, outside of God's created order. Right? So, to me, a chip or a tattoo or a brand can't exempt you from salvation, but something that can change your DNA can. Now, let's go back to Revelation 14 and go to verse 11. And it says, And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So the, the word worship, receive, and mark is the exact same words we just talked about in verse 9. Now, so it says receive, receive his name. Remember the word in verse 9, to receive means to grab and take hold of as if it's a great deal. It's something that you're willing to accept like, yeah, yeah, gimme, gimme, freebie, freebie. Well, you, you receive his name in that way. His name means the surname. It means to take on rank, to take on authority, to take on citizenry to take on the membership of an organization. For an example, um, you know, I am an American. You know, that, that's my nationality. I've taken on the name of the place that I come from. I'm an American. And so that's kind of like, or it's like when a woman marries a man and she takes the name of the man. You, you, you change your surname and you take the name of the man, which implies you have given yourself, your life, your authority over to that man. So that's what this is saying here, that when you receive the mark, you not only receive the mark, but you receive his name. You receive some sort of marriage, if you will, some sort of partnership, some sort of citizenry, some sort of rank, some sort of authority. Now, um, you know, also a name implies authority. Like back in the olden days, like when you watch the black and white movies or, or the 70, 70s cop shows, the cop would, you know, run out in the street and pull out his gun and say, stop in the name of the law. Right. In the name of the law implies implies uh, um, authority. All right. So verse 12, moving on to verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. 
Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. I think that's very interesting. Keep the commandments of God. What are the commandments of God? Yeah, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is a summary of God's law. But God's law is the five books of Moses. That is the foundational groundwork of God's word. That's all of his laws, all of his expectations. So, you know, that that's basically our handbook or rule book for life. So keep the commandments of God because you got to remember when John was writing this, you know, that's all they had was the Old Testament back then. And the only thing the prophets did was reiterate what the first five books of Moses said anyway. They were just backing up what that already said. So keep the commandments. In other words, living according to God's word, living according to his will. But it not it's not only that. Keeping the commandments, but also having the faith of Yeshua. Which means you're not only keeping the commandments of God, but you're keeping the commandments of God the way Jesus taught us to, the way he told us to, as the, the, the Hebrews would say, in his halakhic authority. So uh, we, 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 call, we would call halakha doctrine. So in Yeshua's doctrine. So there's no other authority that supersedes his. No religion or no state. It's, it's, it's Yeshua. And Yeshua says, I don't do anything except what my father tells me. Everything that I say and do lines up with my father because he told me to do it. He told me to say it. I'm not starting a new religion. I'm not, it's not a new ball game because, you know, I'm his son. I'm doing what the father told me to do. All right. So in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, it says, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with, uh, with which he deceived them, that he received the mark of the beast, and them that worship his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So this is the ultimate danger of this assumption, is that, oh, you have to reject Christ to receive the mark of the beast. Not necessarily. Because he don't really care as long as you pledge allegiance to him. He doesn't care, you know, because he knows half the Christians in the world are fake anyway. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but I have sex with my girlfriend every night. Oh, I love Jesus, but I get high on the weekends. Oh, I love Jesus, but I live like the devil during the week. He don't care. He don't care. He don't care who you worship as long as he gets his peace. So it's, there's not any uh, indication of exclusivity here, as I said. So the ultimate danger in, in assuming that you have to deny Christ in order to receive the mark of the beast is the lake of fire. Don't assume you will have to renounce Christ in order to take the mark. Don't assume that the mark will be so obvious. If I'm setting out to deceive you, I'm not going to just say, hey, guys, you know, I got this great deal that, that you know, I, I want you to go into business with me. But I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, it's one of these pyramid schemes. Yeah. But it's, it's a good deal. So... Uh, you know, I'm not going to fool any of you that way. And so neither is, the, neither is Satan, neither is the devil. So it says so in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. It doesn't say that for Satan himself is going to transform himself wearing red pajamas, a, 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 a pointy tail, pointed horns, a pitchfork, and look like that little thing on the little deviled ham package. It doesn't say that. He's not going to fool anybody that way. So it, it says, 
And no marvel, for Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers, if his ministers are also transformed as ministers of righteousness. Oh, I'm your grandfather from beyond the grave, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to guide you throughout your life. Oh, I'm your animal spirit guide. I'm your canary spirit guide that's going to teach you, and I'm going to teach you all the good things. Right? There's all this new age and this all this... Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform as ministers of righteousness. Now, these fake and false TV preachers and evangelists, they don't come out and say they worship the devil. They don't come out and say they teach false doctrine. They lay it on thick, and they, they put the gel cream in their hair, and they have the pearly white smile, and they say, Well, bless God, you, you, you can have Jesus, and you can have your mansion, too. You can have Jesus, and you can have your Cadillac, too. And, you know, all this stuff. As transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. All right. So Matthew 24, 24 says that false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the very elect. So there's a danger in being fooled. Don't think that the mark of the beast is going to be so obvious. Well, the Lord, the Lord wouldn't do that to us. It's going to be obvious. No, it's not, because that's the whole nature of deception. Deception's not deception if there's not a possibility of you being fooled. Right. Now, again, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to educate you so that you will know what to look for. And what to look for is to keep... Your nose in this book. Amen. And I've given, I've given this illustration before. When people are, are, are trying to find counterfeit money, for the first several months, they don't deal with counterfeit money. It's not like they lay out a bunch of counterfeit bills now. Now, I want you to know the difference in this one and feel the texture in that one, and, and then here's what you look for. No, they, they deal with real, genuine money for months. They're, they count it. They touch it. They smell it. You know, and then they, they all... And there's, they're used to the real thing. And then the instructor will slip in a counterfeit bill. They're counting one, two, three, four, five. Wait, wait, hang on. Wait a second. Sure enough, it's a counterfeit bill. How could they discover the counterfeit? Did they study the counterfeit? No. We don't need to study the mark of the beast. We don't need to study who the beast is going to be. Right. We need to study the real thing in the word of God. And it's going to set us up and prepare us to know when the counterfeit is out there. So we won't be deceived. Amen. So if you try to keep... You know, those who, uh, if you try to keep looking uh, at what to look for as far as the counterfeit goes, you're going to be distracted from the genuine article, and you're going to be fooled every time. So if you, if, you want, if, if you want to deceive and damn the world, you don't show up in a red pajamas, horns and a tail, and a pitchfork and tell, everything, and, and tell everybody that's exactly what you're going to do. <laughs> this is why it's imperative and incumbent upon every believer to study the scriptures for yourself and not be dependent upon what preachers and teachers say so that you will not be deceived. Like Paul the Apostle. He said, look, I, I, I mean, I, I give kudos and applaud to the Bereans because they're more noble than anybody I've ran into because no matter what I say, they go back and study it to make sure that what I'm saying is true. As LeVar Burton would say on Reading Rainbow, but don't take my word for it, <laughs> right? Oh, I'd be Paul's like, check it out. Like, and so I'm, say I'm saying the same thing because I even told you, I admitted, now, I don't know. These are my guesses or my speculations. I just gave you my theory, but I'm not saying you have to believe it. But I did give you the solid Greek original language, what that means and what that implies. And I kind of coupled my own interpretation with that, what I think it could be or might be. 
But in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, be diligent. Be diligent means keep at it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. How? A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly teaching or correctly dividing the word of truth. You can't know it unless you read it. You can't know it unless you study it. You can't know it unless you get into it and get into it for yourself. Don't depend on teachers and preachers. Look, it's easier than ever before to study the word for yourself. Yeah. Used to, you'd have to go to seminary and Bible college and learn Greek and Hebrew. Blueletterbible.org. Bi- Blue you can go right on there and click on the word of a verse and it'll tell you what it is in Greek. Wow, that's awesome. Tell you what it is in Hebrew. It's so easy now. You've got so many good tools. You know, you've got concordances. You've got Bible dictionaries. You've got Bible handbooks. You've got um, interlinear Bibles. You've got all these great tools and resources so you can study for yourself. Because my goal is as a teacher is one day I want you to surpass me. I want, I want, to, I want you guys to outgrow me as a teacher and move on to somebody else who knows more than I do. Because I only have so much to give. I want to work myself out of a calling. I want to work myself out of a job. It, it, is, it is the desire of every teacher for their student to be better than they are. And even Jesus kind of, not that people are going to be better than Jesus, but kind of Jesus implied this when he said, hey, you think all this stuff you're seeing, the raising of the dead, the healing of the sick is great? When I'm gone and it's your guys' show, you're going to see greater things than these. And they did in the book of Acts. And we are going to see that too in the end times. And people say, well, you know, I wish we were like the first century church and all the miracles and day of Pentecost and stuff like that. And people, why, why isn't like, you know, the, is, is, is the gifts and the spirits gone away and it's no longer? No, the gifts and the offices are still relevant. But I think we don't see that because the climate of our culture is not right for those things to happen. Where does the raising of the dead take place? In Africa, where there's no medical doctors. In the Amazon, where you have to travel days to see a physician. In communist countries, where they don't care if you live or die. When does miracles and healings take place? In situations like that. When did the Holy Spirit fall in the day of Pentecost? When Israel was under Roman occupation and Christians were being persecuted. Believers were starting to become persecuted. When the persecution hit, that's when the miracles started happening. So we may not be seeing miracles because maybe we're not persecuted enough. Miracles happen in China. Miracles happen in North Korea. Miracles happen in Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, and Muslim and communist countries. They don't happen in the West. They don't happen in France much. They don't happen in Canada much. They still do, but they're few and far between because we're, we're too soft. We got it too good. We got everything at our fingertips. We don't need miracles. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that nobody is fearful of the message that I, that, that I spoke, but that they're encouraged and that, that I kind of lit a little fire under their bums that will say, man, I want to get into God's word. I want to know him more. I want to know the truth. And, and knowing that it's not your will that we be deceived, but it's up to us if we're going to be deceived. We have free will. We can be lazy and we can just not study and we can just say, oh, Jesus, bless me and everything's fine. Or we can just be serious and say, man, I want to serve you. I, don't, I want to worship you. I want to know you. So in order to know you, we have to know your word. So I pray that people won't be fearful that, oh, man, I might be deceived. Nah, if you have a personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit's within you, and you're doing your best to serve him, you're, you're good. But we just need to get into you a little bit more. We can always get into you a little bit more. 
So Lord, help us to get into your word. Help us to rely on listening and hearing and following the commands and the unctions of the Holy Spirit so that when the counterfeit does rise up, we can say, aha, you can't fool me. I can spot you a mile away, buddy. Why? Because we know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And whoever the Son of Man sets free, they are what? Free indeed. So thank you, Father. We ask and pray and give thanks for these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.